Hello everyone, my name is Nick and I like D&D, Audrey Hepburn, Fangoria, Harry Houdini, and Croquet. I can't swim, I can't dance, and I don't know karate. Welcome to the Depths of Music podcast. We're never gonna make it. Uh, welcome back everyone. Uh, if you couldn't tell uh, which album we're reviewing today for that extremely cringy intro, today we are taking a look at the major label debut and sophomore effort of New Jersey rock band My Chemical Romance in their 2004 album Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. This this is an album that I'm very familiar with, uh, being the fact that I'm a teenager and I uh, hate life and am very angsty sometimes. Um, but all joking aside, uh, My Chem is a band that connected to, with me in a way because when I first was kind of made aware of this band i was back in a phase where i was like my camp's for hot topic girls who dye their hair and have daddy issues but uh i realized very quickly upon actually giving their music a chance that my chem is one of those bands that has a lot more going for them than just being angsty and i also learned to be pretentious in different ways about the music I like. I was going to say less pretentious, but I'm still pretty pretentious. But less pretentious in a way about the music that I like and enjoy. Um, and now I'm, you know, full-blown. They're one of my favorite bands. Uh, and Three Cheers is not my favorite My Chem record. Uh, we'll talk about the Black Parade eventually. But um, it's a very interesting record in their discography, a very defining record, and I still think one of their best it still holds water and holds up to this day so at the time this record came out 2004 the members of my chemical romance were pretty similar to they are today my chem the only thing that ever changes is the drummer the constant members are gerard way lead vocalist his brother and bassist mikey way and the rhythm guitar and lead guitar dynamic duo of the ages ray toro and frank with ray on lead and frank on rhythm respectively and to a lot of people and also including me that instrumentation is very important on this album we've got uh, matt pressler on drums he played uh drums on their first album and was one of the founding members of the band he played on uh their first demos, the Attic demos, and I Brought You My Bullets, You Brought Me Your Love. But he mated with the band through the recording of this album, but was asked to leave due to circumstances that no one's really aware of. There's some rumors going around of why he was asked to leave the band, but no one truly really knows. Matt was asked to leave the band just after completing this album, but he didn't really get to tour a whole lot with it, uh... He was replaced by their most well-known drummer, Bob Byer. Matt was replaced by Bob just before the recording of the I'm Not Okay music video. And then Bob proceeded to tour with My Cam uh, all the way through the Three Cheers era and then continued to work with them on through the Black Parade a few years later. Now, ever since their inception, My Chemical Romance has been a very theatrical band. Gerard cited in an interview that like Iron Maiden was one of his biggest influences with how they handled theatricality in their live shows and their albums and kind of putting together a narrative. We talked a lot about this on the Number of the Beast review. So My Chem's 
early albums do have a bit of a concept to them, but they're a little looser, including Three Cheers. Three Cheers is, you know, some people would call it a concept record, but in my opinion, the concept's a little loose. We're going to work through it as we go through this review, but overall, I feel like when you do a concept album, you got to commit to the bits or not do it at all. I'm, in my opinion, the only album where My Chem really hits their mark on their concepts is The Black Parade. And I think Three Cheers is a really cool story. I just wish it was a little bit further executed. But I think what they do with it is good and it still blends in with the rest of the album in a way that still works and makes sense. The album feels like a cohesive piece even though not every track is relating to this concept some of them are a little more broad in their tone my chem kind of puts together still a record that has a cohesive vibe and a cohesive aesthetic and really kind of defines how people are going to see them along with the black parade how people are going to remember them this is one of their most famous records this is one of the most well-known records there's some huge singles off of this album and really it shows a band that is at a point where they're together they feel things they know what they're doing they're confident and they're really just letting it go there's room to go there's room to further improve from here but i think this record is a perfect statement of just the quality that MyChem had at the time and the quality that they would continue to improve upon later on. So going back to our story, to keep in mind for this album before we get into our first track here, the story of this album is essentially that there are two people, a man and a woman, that are referred to as the demolition lovers, is what I've typically heard them um, called and they are the people you see in the front of the album cover uh with the blood splattered on their face and they are two lovers who were separated by death and the male lover goes to hell and makes a deal with the devil that if he uh takes a gun and kills a thousand evil men that the devil will let his girlfriend come back to life and be to, and they will be together again. So that's the story of this record as we kind of follow this revenge of this man who's taking back all these terrible lives and doing this kind of justice and how it continues to corrupt him until we get to the ending. And we'll see if this all pans out happily ever after. Spoiler alert, of course it doesn't. But... My Chem, uh, they noted in the documentary that kind of went along with the recording of this album called Life on the Murder Scene, that they've always been inspired by horror movies. Uh, they grew up in a very dangerous area of New Jersey, and they weren't allowed to go outside a lot. Uh, guitarist Reg Toro even mentioned like that the park that he would play at, he wouldn't be allowed to go there because there would be like five bodies found in a ditch. But... They grew up in this bad part of town, so because they were inside all, a lot, they didn't really have a lot to do, they couldn't hang out with their friends, they got lost in horror movies and fantasy and all that, and that's really what drove them to be these kind of creatively minded individuals to make this art, because they couldn't go out and get that creativity out by like playing with their friends or doing other things that other kids do. But getting into the first track on the album, uh... We have one of MyChem's most popular songs of all time, Helena, 
Helena, Helena, however you want to pronounce it. I'm going to pronounce it Helena. Uh, Helena is a tribute to Mikey and Gerard's late grandmother who passed away just before the recording of this album. She was the biggest supporter of the boys' creative endeavors, whether it was Gerard's comics that he was doing before and then would later do after My Chem, uh, or Mikey's music. She was always very supportive and a big musical influence on them, and they were very, very close. Uh, she only got to see My Chemical Romance play one time, and that, that shows actually in, uh, there's a YouTube video of it if you want to see it, really early era My Chem concert. Uh, it's a pretty good recording. I think it's in Mexico, I believe is where it is, circa like 2002. Um, but needless to say that because of how close Mikey and Gerard, and actually a lot of the members of the band were to their grandmother, this hit like a truck, and really this first song is a way for Gerard and the other members of the band to work through that pain. There's a lot of extreme depression in there, there's things referencing to self-harm, you know, the blade you stain, there's references to, you know, we'll meet again when both our cars collide. These really kind of dramatic and heart-wrenching metaphors about what it feels to lose someone, which is kind of the other half of this album that isn't the concept. It's this feeling of loss, this feeling of grief in a way that they're working through in a way that kind of ties together nicely with their concept because their concept is essentially still a story about loss. But on this song, eventually, through the chorus, we get to the revelation, you know, what's the worst that I can say? Things are better if I stay. So long and good night. So long and good night. Where Gerard and them and the band eventually realizes that it's just best for them to stay, even though it's really hard fighting through all this depression that comes with the loss of a loved one. Uh, this is a fan favorite track. Typically, this is the closer of the concerts, you know, with the lyrics, you know, so long and good night. It's kind of a popular way to end a concert. Uh, they did not use it as their closer for their 2019 reunion show. They did an encore of Welcome to the Black Parade, which the idea of them uh, using to close with so long and good night and now closing with will carry on is cool little metaphor that they threw in before they were briefly stopped by a pandemic, uh, but I'm not getting into that. Uh, the music video for this song is really, really well done. It's, it's at a funeral service. The band is on stage uh, wearing black outfits and eyeliner playing their instruments, and there's a lady who is kind of supposed to be the person dead. She springs out of a coffin she begins dancing around with all these like really elaborately choreographed background dancers and eventually she gasps, she runs up the aisle, gasps and falls into a coffin which is carried by the band in the rain down these steps during the final chorus as they put it into a hearse and send it away. Um, apparently there was a very, very hard shoot on the band, especially on... Gerard where he said that he kind of had to take a moment and take a break because of all the emotions that were going on through this song but 
in that same Life on the Murder Scene documentary, when they were talking about Helena, they mentioned that they didn't want the video to be a complete downer. They wanted there to be theatrics and bang and enthusiasm in it because the person they were tributing wouldn't have wanted it to be all sad. They would have wanted there to be some theatricality. So it's an emotional track, but it really kind of, you know, while not actually starting with like full concept, not starting with like a full conceptual setting the stage like you do in like the end on the Black Parade, the song Helena does a good job at pinpointing a key theme of the record in loss and anger with loss and how one works through that with the extremely you know depressing lyrics and this just struggle to fight these invisible battles like loss and this song you know became one of their most defining hits and it's a song that is really good um frank and ray all over this album play great off of each other and that's in a lot of ways what makes my chem special is that play between rhythm guitar lead guitar and vocals the that's like a perfect marriage between the three parts that really makes my chem the force that they are today and makes them such an interesting band combined with the great lyrics great hook and great rhythm section it makes it so that this song really pops in a way that's accessible for other people who maybe don't listen to that to understand but there's so many interesting little moving parts in this song and this whole album so helena becomes a really good thesis statement for this band for people who maybe have listened or listening to them for the first time back in 2004 or to people today first starting this record, Helena gives you a really good glimpse of what you're getting into with Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. The next song is Give Em Hell Kid. The bass line on this is awesome. That opening bass line is so good. And uh, in the verses, we get uh, a little bit of playing with effects. Gerard does a really good job of playing with his vocals all over this album, and the distortion on this is particularly good at getting his uh, lyrical points and emotional points across. This now is the actual beginning of the story and the concept. It's told from the female perspective. If you were here, I'd never have a fear about how she wants to be back with her uh, lover and how she's struggling with missing him. You know, once again, the fear of loss the themes of loss and now he's going to kill a thousand evil men and well it's not clear whether she knows what he's doing yet it's this kind of you know yearning for loss and the wanting of somebody back that we've kind of already touched on in helena once again great chorus great vocal line great guitar playing all over this thing Ray is a monster all over this album in basically being, in my opinion, like pop punks or rock at the time, one of the, their best guitarists. He shreds like a monster all over this record. And this is a really frantic song, and that's, that's a word you can describe a lot of these songs on Three Cheers with is frantic. They're very like 
they don't really, this is not a slow record. This is not a record that gives you a moment to breathe. This is a full throttle, angst filled, angry revenge story from start to finish. And I think that the band does a really great job of keeping that mood up and keeping that energy up. To the End is another really great song on this album. This uh, more directly plays into my chems inspiration from media as it's essentially based on the story arose from emily but is also kind of used as a way to tie back to uh, the concept of the record the drum parts on here are particularly really good uh matt pressler does a really good job on here and i really like the chorus that whole vocal line that whole say goodbye is really just gets stuck in your head all day but as i mentioned earlier this is based on the story rose arose for emily and the chorus is sung from her perspective essentially what the story is is emily's like madly obsessed with this guy who she really loves but he breaks her heart by the fact that he's gay you know he's not interested in women he's only interested in men and she doesn't take any form of rejection well at all so she essentially just poisons him um the lyrics can be reinterpreted to also affect the two demolition lovers you know the chorus is a little specific you know say goodbye to all the hearts you break and all the cyanide you drank you know the her heart that she that he broke and all the cyanide he drank by him being poisoned and being killed there's, you know, the second verse talks about the money. You know, she's got nasty blisters from the money she spends. About how Emily uh, was marrying this kind of rich guy and she spent so much on this wedding that she knew they were going to have, even though, you know, he wasn't even remotely interested in that. Now, you can also, well, as I said earlier, reapply the same conditions. There's that whole line, uh, he's always been, uh, he's always looking at men line which you can take as you know the reference to the fact that emily's love interest is gay or you can take as a reference to the fact that the male demolition lover is always looking as men as in the men that he has to kill in order to get his lover back but overall my chem does a really good job of kind of putting a cohesive kind of story in their lyrics in just this specific song and also doing that in a way that ties back to the vibe and concept of the record this doesn't feel like a detour this still feels like it's on the same track even though we have a more direct inspiration that never comes up later on the album the next song is you know what they do to guys like us in prison which is a very long song name which we're going to get a few really long song names uh, later on in this record but you know what they do to guys like us to prison is essentially another kind of story song not entirely sure how this fits in the grand concept of the record so there might be some theorizing here and obviously a lot of what is on this album is up to interpretation it's not really like well established in the way that like something like the wall is where it's like narrative 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 so, you know, obviously, you're going to listen to this. You might not agree with all my interpretations of story moments. But back to the song in hand when I get off that soapbox. Um, you know what they do to guys like us in prison is essentially a song about 
what they do to guys like us in prison. Um, it's a song, so it starts with, you know, in the middle of a gunfight in the center of a restaurant, they say, come with your arms raised high. This guy is getting arrested, whoever this is, most likely the male demolition lover, is getting arrested by the cops in a way that he never thought to. You know, he talks about a bullet through a flock of doves. He never actually thought that he was going to get arrested, but now he is for whatever he's doing, maybe, you know, murdering people or whatnot. And now he's being sent to prison, and he's not really having a good time. Gerard does a really good job of really expressing that manic energy on this song with the way that he gives, you know, the screamed interlude, the way that he puts inflections on certain parts of his vocal lines really impact and really get us in the mind of this character. We talk about, you know, kind of the weird kind of pervy culture around prison where they talk about, you know, making him do push-ups and drag. How he's not getting along with the other prisoners. He's not having a good time. You know, swing by a rope if you dare. He's thinking about killing himself. Unfortunately, he thinks his life is pretty much good as dead in this prison because of how he's been caught. This frantic energy is really emphasized by the solos and shredding during this song. Does a really good job of kind of bring this together and there's a lot of kind of more distinct sections and ideas of this song that all kind of flow together as one because you start a little bit softer and then it builds and then you get more dramatic and then there's the screamed interlude the solos and the shredding at the end so it kind of bounces all over the place but it still feels like one really nice cohesive piece that really flows well together so now we make our way to our next big single i'm not okay parentheses i promise i i hate it when songs do that by the way that is so annoying to read um i'm not okay is a huge single for my chem and i think it's one of the best songs on this album lyrically because i think what they do with this is so perfect in a way that really i i just i, I get a kick out of this so the music video is what i quoted earlier at the beginning of this review essentially it's like the song and we'll get into the lyrics the music video is one big giant satire film of like bad teenager jock versus prep at the boarding school and they're like bullying him because he's not cool and like throwing frank into a locker and da 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 all that kind of stuff and i think uh the tongue-in-cheek attitude of this band you know, they're in, quote, emo band, but they really have, like, a sense of, kind of, humor about themselves, and seeing this video, you know, in contrast with something more dark and serious like Helena or Ghost of You, seeing, in a way, them kind of cut it loose and show the audience that they don't take themselves super seriously and that they're a band that can also just be more fun is a really good contrast in kind of singles tone. The guitar solo and instrumentals on this were on this are great. That opening line is fantastic. It's really a catchy song, great chorus. There's that cool little breakdown at the end. I'm okay. I'm okay. That whole part is a really good way to transition that final chorus, break things up, keep you on your toes. But the lyrics here, I think, are what, in my opinion, really makes this song stand out. It's 
a song that you know the chorus literally is just them saying i'm not okay over and over again okay so you have a song called i'm not okay with a chorus about not being okay with this band of dudes with long black hair who wear eyeliner okay i know what this song is about not really when you get into the verses you paint a much more cohesive picture of something that in actuality is the complete opposite we basically have this guy and this girl as the center of this song now based on the tone of this this i believe is completely divorced from the concept i don't really see a way that these connect but once again this is all up to speculation i could be totally wrong but this song is essentially a criticism of the culture that my chem is kind of limped in with you have this guy the narrator speaking to this girl who kind of has these problems you know she's embarrassed about these pictures that her boyfriend took of her maybe like you know sexual photos whatnot you know she's had a lot of really kind of bad experiences but in a way the narrator kind of implies that a lot of these are kind of her fault and a lot of these could have been prevented and is basically telling her throughout this entire thing that like he's been kind of her emotional support friend like you know like and there's nothing wrong with that you know people have friends that they go to lean on for emotional support and that's totally healthy but this girl is to an unhealthy extent relying on our narrator to solve all of her problems and he's essentially telling her that she's not being a good friend because number one he can't solve all our problems number two he's got a lot of problems going on and she doesn't pay attention to him so he basically you know there's that whole line even kind of as a like self-aware jab where he says you know you sing the words but you don't know what it means another line without a hook i held you close as we both shook for the last time take a good hard look he essentially is telling this girl look like you've got problems but you also need to understand that you can't just be taking these out and just kind of putting all these emotions on me because i have things going on too and what you're doing is unhealthy and you're not really making any effort to solve any of this by yourself you're just kind of whining even though you don't really understand what's going on it's a little bit of a condescending song but i think it's a really interesting message especially coming from this kind of band or a band with this reputation especially in a way my chem's kind of almost biting the hand that feeds in a way of it's it's really kind of critiquing this culture of you know people who are quote like over emotional and honestly you know being emotional and talking to your friends about your problems you know that's that's obviously not a bad thing we all do that that's perfectly totally healthy and a normal thing to do but when it gets to a certain rate or when you're just doing it for attention that's kind of i feel like what my chem's addressing this isn't like a you shouldn't talk to your friends about your problems anthem this is more of you know take things seriously kind of message and like a message to also while you're doing this you know be aware of what's going on and i think it's a message i don't really see touched on in a lot of songs but is really compelling to think about in a way 
I find it really interesting, and I believe Gerard once said this was somewhat based on personal experience with someone he had where he was getting frustrated that this girl was constantly talking about all these problems and, you know, she was never actually there for him. Basically, you know, every relationship's got to be a two-way street, whether it's romantic, friendship, etc. Everybody's got to give and everybody's got to get, so, you know, just be there for people, man. Um, and just, you know, when people are there for you, just make sure you're there for them too. Just be a good friend, essentially, is the message of the song. But killer solo in this thing. Really interesting message, really interesting lyrics. So I'm Not Okay kind of comes out as a shining example of the lyrical ability of this band to not only make a radio-friendly and MTV-friendly hook where this band's now getting requested on TRL, it also shows a band that can make a lyrical kind of moment and a lyrical song that subverts expectations and may fly under the radar for some people who are just listening for the catchy little chorus. But it shows kind of the power of this band in a way that goes well and also contrasts with Helena. And we're going to see uh, the next singles immediately after kind of the contrast between these three. The next song, as I mentioned, like literally just seconds ago, is the next single, Ghost of You. In my opinion, this is the best song in the album because of the way that this works as a, just a straight song and the way that this ties in with the themes of the album. So, Ghost of You is a song, surprise, surprise, for Three Cheers of Sweet Revenge, is about loss. But they tackle this in a little bit of a different way, especially in the music video. The music video for this also, I believe, is kind of key to understanding how they tackle this. So the music video for Ghost of You is essentially a cuts between two scenes. You have the band performing the song at an old-style 1940s-esque bar with, like, these really, like, you know, these sharp suits and they're, like... Gerard's has like this Elvis looking kind of haircut going on singing in this retro mic and they're playing at this bar with these kind of old timey dressed people and the band you know you see shots of the band kind of talking to people and interacting with like some of the women who are presumed to be their wives in the video and then you get this contrasted with a shot of literally just D-Day as the band is literally sent to storm the beaches of Normandy, uh, pretty much from what it seems, in this thing, you know, they're going off to war. So it contrasts these kind of last moment shots with the people they love and care about with literal war as bullets are raining down, people are dropping, and at the end of the thing, uh, one of the members of the band, Mikey Way, is shot. You see this wistful shot of him looking back at, you know, in the in the past, uh, in the performance, he's looking back at his wife, smiling at her as he walks out this door, and then this is immediately contrasted with him getting shot and falling down, Gerard's like, sobbing over his dead body. It's you know, it's a really well-directed video, and it's really well-made in a way that kind of 
gives you a bite-sized glimpse of the horrors of war and a different angle of loss that we don't really see tackled in the album, losing someone through war, losing someone that's in the military or in service. But the song itself is really great, and these themes of loss don't specifically in the lyrics relate to this setting that they picked for the video, so it does a good job of also tying into the loss of the demolition lovers that we're talking about throughout most of this album. It's a song, once again, especially just about loss. You know, at the end of the world, or the last thing you see, you are never coming home. You know, this idea of you know, this person who's so far away, they're at the end of the world, but now they're just a ghost to you. They're, they're not there anymore, and you would go to the end of the world to find them, but it's ultimately fruitless. They're never coming home. Uh, the final bridge and chorus kind of lead up, which I think is the best part of the album, was actually something the producer kind of had to fight them to get in. They wanted the song to end just after that kind of bridge, but when they put it with the chorus they kind of realized why he was right. And in my opinion, he was. It definitely makes the song way better. That especially, the way that they skip a beat and add that extra drum fill on the end just gives me goosebumps every time. The vocal performance by Gerard is really emotional in this. This is one of the songs that kind of starts slower. This is closer than we get to a slow song on this album, because there's not really a slow song on this album, except for, like, the interlude. But... The way that this song evolves its structure and builds and climaxes in a way shows a lot of really great dynamics in this band that we've already seen of like their range of what types of music they can do. That uh, song is just this song is just filled with like nonstop earworm licks, earworm guitar lines. That rhythm guitar part that Frank plays that echoes the uh, chorus, never coming home, never coming home, and then that uh, da 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 that comes in with the uh, end of the song and the solo and the way that all pairs is just perfect. It's exquisite in a way. Uh, a fun fact I learned about this song uh, is that. Mikey Way, being the one who got shot and died, was decided uh, through the lead singer power of his brother Gerard Way after they had a argument over whether unicorns existed or not. Mikey apparently argued that they didn't exist, and according to his brother, apparently that was grounds on to get shot in a music video. So, um, once again, the most serious band in the world. But um, all joking aside. Monikem does a really good job to show the emotional gravity and do another kind of self-contained story in the music video, but also in the song, make it connect to the themes of the album. It's very clear when looking at the lyrics how this connects to the story of the demolition lovers and this story and how they feel, and also connecting with how the band feels this point in their career and this point in their lives, as we mentioned earlier, like when I was talking about Helena. But this closes out side A of the record because uh, I have this thing on vinyl because I'm a loser and I have no life. But 
we move on to the Jess Set Life is Going to Kill You. This is a song that rings pretty true, especially for what the band was going through at the time. I mentioned this in one of the, you know one of the main resources for the research of this video, and when I do, uh, I brought you my bullets. It'll be a resource for that too. Uh, was the documentary Life on the Murder Scene? It was kind of a video diary series by My Chem that came out right after this album did. And there's a live album version of it too. Uh, there's a vinyl version that came out last year for Record Store Day. Uh, includes some really great live versions and early demos for Three Cheers, including uh, the Desert Song, which should have been on this album and is amazing, and I really wish one day I'll get the chance to talk about it. But regardless, The Jessed Life is Gonna t Kill You relates to that documentary because Mike can spend a decent bit of their time on the documentary, specifically Gerard, talks about Gerard's drug and alcohol issues. There was a thing about how he's never played a sh he'd never played a show sober until Three Cheers was finished recording, and he had a lot of issues with alcoholism and doing some pretty hard drugs, including stuff like cocaine, at the time to deal with his anxiety and his depression from all that was going on in his life and the pressures he was under. Now that he's you know signed to a major label, he's got millions of fans all over the world. He's this giant artist now and that's a lot of pressure for someone who the documentary kind of portrays as a bit of an inside kid and how the band are not all like they're not like super ready for stardom or always dreamed of being rock stars they were okay to just kind of quietly make their art in the corner but now they've been propelled to the spotlight of the world and they're struggling to handle it and a lot of the band members, including Gerard, turn to substance abuse to deal with that. That's kind of what the song's about, about this, the Jessed life and how this is, this life of drugs and alcohol and substance will, you know, it's, it's gonna kill you, as the song says. And he kind of personifies this as a woman in the song when he talks about drugs you see this pretty common you know even in the song like last dance with mary jane personifying drug addiction as this toxic relationship being in love with a woman who's abusing you or a man who's abusing you being an allegory for drugs because of you know the highs you can get via like you know literally for drugs being high or having good times with your spouse but also the abuse it suffers the addiction the cravings the withdrawal symptoms all that stuff it's pretty straightforward metaphor uh once again gerard really continues to emphasize this emotional range uh there's a line in here i think is particularly kind of interesting there's the line where he talks about checking into the hotel buero Bella Muerte, which uh, I don't speak Spanish, so sorry if I didn't pronounce that well, but Buer Bella Muerte is uh, Spanish for beautiful death. Uh, checking into the hotel is an allegory for suicide, which in terms of lyrics I thought was a little bit, you know, kind of creative. Uh, that was a note I put in my notes on, maybe even not as much to add to my argument about what this song is going for but maybe just because i had no idea what that meant for the longest time and i needed to actually figure it out um so that's a tangent that i definitely just went on that's cool
After that, we head into the interlude. This is another one that you can kind of continue to connect with these themes of loss, but also uh, connects kind of well with the Demolition Lover's story. You get this really kind of quiet, finger-picked guitar passage that sounds really great, uh, where basically the male Demolition Lover is begging the angels to protect his love while he attempts to get her back you know she's dead please angels protect her please god protect her while i do what i need to do to get her back with me it's pretty much the only softer piece on this album and it does a really good job you know it mellows you out it kind of gets a little softer and you think this would transition to a soft piece but then you're immediately hit with one of the best hard guitar licks on this album on the next track thank you for the venom thank you for the venom is an awesome song it's one of the one as i mentioned earlier the best guitar licks on their record uh and speaking of guitar licks ray toro uh rhythm guitarist all over this record and especially on this song does a really exquisite job and i think doesn't get enough credit for his background vocals that he delivers all through this record Ray actually has a really nice voice. Uh, his solo album that came out after the MyChem breakup, uh, Remember the Laughter, I believe is what it was called, kind of showed that even more. But Ray has a really good voice, and it really kind of plays well off of Gerard. So next time you listen to that song, listen for those background vocals. I think it really adds a lot to the um, for the song. Uh, Gerard Way, in a quote, basically talks about how he thinks this song is about you know thank you for the venom there's a lot of lyrics about give me all your poison and give me all your pills and give me all your hopeless hearts and make me ill essentially it's a message against the critics who think that my chem is using these lyrics some of them depressing some of them you know suicidal using these lyrics to exploit young vulnerable suicidal fans you know some people branded my chem as like i think they were called a suicide cult once or basically saw as they'd be convincing kids to kill themselves or they've been you know we've seen this debate a thousand times we talked about it with iron maiden there's no way we're not going to talk about it again about bands getting framed for things that really necessarily aren't true but it's kind of a lashback against them. Essentially, it's in a way an anti-conformity message as well. It's a little bit of two themes mixed into one. The first uh, about, you know, the fans and, you know, giving the critics the what for about how they're not actually exploiting their fans. They're just trying to help the best they can and give someone solace and give some things for someone to relate to and sympathize with in their music uh but there's a different interpretation of this kind of as an anti-conformity message uh directed at religion there is you know the first line sister is the first line of the song where gerard is in theory referring to a nun he talks about i keep a book and i keep a gun in the book you gave me you know gun in the bible there's that whole kind of stereotype of, you know, give me all your poison, give me all your pills, give me all your hopeless hearts and make me ill is kind of seen as a way of Gerard giving into the vice and the influence 
of bad things as a way of rebelling against this upbringing that whoever he's singing um, as may have had and kind of rebelling against the system, rebelling against religion and kind of just doing whatever he wants, living by his own means as the protagonist. Now, how this connects with the album is a little harder to say, and I didn't find anything in my research about this kind of anti-religious message you get on this song being, in a way, related to the upbringing of any members of the band, but I, once again, could be totally wrong about this. The next song on this album is called Hang 'Em High. It starts with Western-style whistling at the beginning and sets the tone that this is kind of more of a like spaghetti western-inspired track. Uh, this Even the title, Hang 'Em High, is inspired and shares a title with a 1968 Clint Eastwood movie of the same name. Uh, but we get a little bit more context on our story here. Uh, the line, she won't stop me, put it down, she won't stop me, put it down, being repeated over and over again, seems to be kind of an allegory in a way. A lot of people read that as the female demolition lover finding out what the male is trying to do for her and trying to get him to stop, to tell him, hey, I love you, but like, don't murder a bunch of people. That's a bad thing to do. I, I'm going to be okay. I'm dead, I know. But, you know, we'll see each other one day. All that kind of stuff. But, as he says in the line, you know, she won't stop me. So, he's not really swayed by her arguments and still is persuaded to kill these thousand evil men. You can hear someone in the background saying, uh, during a certain part of the song, Why'd you do it? Stop laughing. Stop laughing. Why you do it? You'd better stop this kind of, uh, you know, show of, you know, the woman finding out about her lover's kind of murderous habits uh, in, you know, a, a way that, you know, I'm assuming he figured she would be happy about this, that he's killing these evil men to get her back, but very clearly this is corrupting him very, very much. You know, he's still getting his gun made him by the door, so... He's becoming kind of a corrupted person, kind of becoming more of an evil person and morphing away from the person that she loved. So she's trying to get him to stop, but the murder, the revenge, it is, it's taken hold of him. It's completely corrupted him and there's really no turning back now. The next song is called It's Not a Fashion Statement, It's a Death Wish. Um, some versions of the album will throw an F word in there. Some versions will not, uh, and that's not even just the clean version. The version I have on vinyl is explicit, but the track listing just labels it as it's not a fashion statement, it's a death wish, and because this is a clean podcast, I will refer to it as such. This is uh, apparently Gerard Way's favorite song from the album. Wouldn't agree with him on that, but it's definitely a really good song. Verse 1 is from the male demolition lover to destroy his demons when she returns so that they don't haunt her essentially you know when she returns back to the world he's begging her to you know destroy his demons so that she doesn't have to live with them that you know his demons and what he's done is his problem it's not her problem and he doesn't want her to have to live with what he's done 
that's kind of what the first verse is about. And then we go into the chorus where he reiterates his statement and goal to bring his lover back from the dead. The second verse is more about how these bad influences have kind of become part of who this man is and now taken over him. They're starting to corrupt him. These, you know, he talks about self-harm. He talks about other self-destructive actions that in theory will lead him to a happier place with his lover. But as we soon are to find out, that's not the case and not all these bad things are worth it in the end which kind of adds to the tragedy of this album as it's kind of framed by the band. But once again, really great instrumentally all through this album, even if I don't mention it, I'm kind of focusing on piecing together a narrative here through these lyrics, but uh, the band is great musically all throughout this album, and it's, a fashion it's not a fashion statement, it's a death wish is no exception. Uh... Cemetery Drive is the next song on the album. On the Life of the Murder Scene live album, Gerard says right before he starts the song that this song is about the hardest drive me and Mikey and our band have been on. We've been on this drive for four years. And in a way, that kind of relates to the song, but a lot of people and you know the Genius Page and myself kind of interpreted this in a way to continue a bit more of the story of the demolition lovers. Uh, the story is essentially he sneaks into the mausoleum, sneaks into the cemetery to literally visit his lover. He talks about, you know, drinking on the mausoleum floor, you know, going to see his lover, quote, see her, she's dead, going to her gravesite, drinking himself silly, being rushed out by the cops in the morning and how the female lover killed herself apparently and that's why she's dead and he wishes he could have done better and how he's still extremely traumatized by this loss sitting there completely miserable completely corrupted by alcohol and drugs that have taken effect in his system and this grief that's just riding over him as he struggles to cope with this loss that he's going through as he's, you know, literally sneaking into a cemetery to talk to someone who doesn't walk on this earth anymore. It's a tragic portrait of a man who's really at his worst and needs some serious help, but, you know, he literally made a deal with the devil, so I don't know if that help is coming anytime soon. And... We learn about that on the final song on the album, I Never Told You What I Do for a Living. The song is instrumentally, I think, one of the strongest. The transitions between the sections on this song are really great, and it builds very nicely to the end, and gives kind of a cohesive-ish ending to this album and this concept and this story. Uh, the riff at the final section, never again and never again, that the vocals play off of. You hear that part echoed in the guitar is awesome. Really catchy. Just great instrumental work all over this as Mike M definitely saves one of their best songs for Lash.
in the beginning of the song, the Demolition Lover is kind of reflecting on his journey so far to this point. He's talking about, you know, another night till I see you, I'm so close. And while all of this stuff is very clearly taking a toll on him, he's getting some satisfaction in knowing or thinking that he knows that he's going to see his lover again once he kills these last few evil men. It's going to be okay, everything's going to be fine, I'm going to get what I wanted. Eventually, however, it is revealed to him that, you know, he must kill a thousand evil men. But when he makes it to the 999th evil man, he learns that the final man he must kill is himself. He has turned himself into, you know, a drug addict. He's turned himself into a murderer. He kills simply for revenge. That makes him an evil man. He literally did a deal with the devil. He is now evil, and the final man he must kill is himself. And he has this breakdown realizing that, you know, he's got to die, and now he's never going to see the person he loves again. You know, again and again, they gave us two shots to the back of the head, and we're all dead now. We close the album on a somber note, knowing that he shoots himself twice in the back of the head, and... He's never going to see her again. You know, whether they're reunited in hell, we don't know. But essentially, they're all dead now. All these murders, all this stuff, it was for nothing. This deal, it was for nothing. You know, yeah, the men that were murdered might have been evil, but they were never given a chance to redeem themselves, and neither was the demolition lover. He's now cast into hell because of the evil deeds that he did, and he never got a chance to move on or recollect or find something else to do with his life besides for live through this loss and it's consumed him alive it's kind of a depressing way to end the album off but i think it's a really poignant tragedy and especially these last few songs as they've built up this story i think do a good job of making this ending work for the most part now three cheers is a concept record and as we wrap up this story Three Cheers of Concept Record, like, there was a lot of notes digging, there was a lot of Googling, there was a lot of information I sifted through to even somewhat get a theory of what this story is. And my chem very clearly, I think, was, you know, Gerard, I think, mentioned in an interview that it was originally supposed to be more of a straightforward concept album and more just evolved to an album about loss. And I think that's the most fitting quote to sum up this record and how this is my chem is fully together as a band here musically everything works i think on later albums and especially the black parade i think they continue to diversify their sound go in different directions and change things up but the base my chemical romance formula what makes them them is all here and accounted for on this album and i think done to near perfection and as much as I love this story and I like these lyrics, I just sometimes find myself wishing that there was more. And it's, it's a bit of a chore to unpack this and figure all this out and what is here and what is there. Things I've said probably have conflicted with each other because I just don't know everything. So to me, billing this as a concept record kind of doesn't really work because of how vague everything is and as much as i think that serves the purpose of the record it's it's a little frustrating sometimes but 
because of the themes of loss and the story and the themes of loss that they also incorporate with other things, I think the record pulls itself together mostly as a cohesive piece and a contained unit that works as a record and doesn't feel too scatterbrained. But, you know, I thought the story and the concept was really cool and I just wish they would take it a little bit further, I guess is one of my only criticisms of the album. I think, overall, there's so many strong tracks to pick here, and I don't think a lot of them, or any of them, to be honest, could be really considered bad. It's just, this is a record where it's great, and it's absolutely a classic, and I understand all the love that this record gets, and I am you know, more than happy to pile on more love to this record. It's an incredible listen. It's a genre-defining record, and it's so incredible. But it's very clear that when you listen to The Black Parade, that My Chem can go up from here. And seeing how they do that is so compelling to me. And I know I've mentioned The Black Parade a lot through this, and Yes, I will get to the Black Parade once I'm confident enough in my reviewing skills to not completely butcher one of my favorite albums of all time. But, for the moment, Three Cheers is absolutely a defining record for a sound, an aesthetic, an era in rock music, and an era in My Chemical Romance, and cemented them as a legendary band that would be remembered forever. Now... Going back to this record so many years later, I think it still holds a lot of water. It's just as punchy. It's just as catchy. Everything works just like it did in 04. You know, I mean, I wasn't there at the time, but I think that this record serves as a very just solid album front to back and I think is a great listen to anyone if you're interested in this band, if you're interested in this type of sound, and overall, I think, you know, highest recommendation, it's a fantastic listen. But My Chemical Romance can go up from here because they certainly weren't done yet. And as we learned in 2019, they weren't even done when they said they were done. So, you know, here's hoping for maybe one day I'll be reviewing a fifth My Chemical Romance album. But until then, maybe we'll change genres a little bit on the next review. Uh... Wherever that may take us, I hope you will join me for the journey. This has been the Depths of Music podcast, and I will see you next time.